So as you heard, we're preaching from Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. We're going to come there in a moment. But let me tell you about a young boy named Stephen. Stephen grew up with a completely and entirely absent father who came home only long enough to, uh, to give him two younger children. And uh, he, was, he, he was abandoned in Harare, I think it was. He grew up in Zimbabwe. And uh, together with his two younger siblings, he himself was not yet 10 years old. His mother was taking them on a bus trip. And they went, um, they went, to, uh, they went to the bus station. And he was told to wait in one place. And, and he was there with his younger siblings. And uh, his mother went around the corner and never came back. They ended up in a care home. Um, the younger brother and sister, they were, they were separated. They found extended uh, family members. But he himself could never settle and ended up in a life of desperation and ultimately gang crime. And, uh, and then one day a soft target came along. It was an outreach event by a group that would come around and pitch a tent and preach. And part of what they did during that time was they obviously took up an offering. And, uh, and so Stephen and his gang went into this uh, tent meeting armed and ready for robbery, waiting for the offering to be gathered. And then they were going to not only steal that, but also make their way through the whole congregation and make sure they walked out with as much resources as they possibly could. But something began to happen in that during the worship time, before the offering, he realized there was something in this space. There was someone in this space. And it wasn't just a church service. And so he became captivated with it and he gave the signal to his gang tomorrow night. And he heard the sermon that night and then, uh, and then the guys, well, what is it? What is it? He said, no, 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 tomorrow night, we'll do it, we'll do it. We just needed to check out, you know. And so, uh, and they watched and they checked where the offering went and who did what. And so the next night they came back and as he heard, um, and he was just captivated, he was deeply experiencing something we would call conviction. God was speaking to him. He was feeling deeply unsettled. He was feeling troubled about his life choices. He was struggling with what he had decided to do. But the preacher was talking more than that feeling was the preacher was insisting that God loved him. That God really, really loved him. And that God had sent his son to pay for the sin and the crimes that he had committed. And he thought this was incredible, that forgiveness was possible. And so as he was listening and experiencing this, the night happened, the time came to give the signal, and instead of giving the signal, he dropped his weapon and walked to the front for prayer. His gang immediately took that as their signal, and there was still robbery and chaos. And while the meeting was in chaos, he was standing with the preacher by himself at the front, giving his heart to Jesus and turning from his life. And he discovered the greatest love, the greatest forgiveness, and in the context of this little series, the greatest power to change. Years later, Stephen would find his mom 
and forgive her. And he would go on to lead African Enterprise, an evangelistic ministry that reaches all across Africa. The power to change. Like how many people would you put in that category and think, there's just no hope. Like the life script is written. The story's ending is obvious from how it begins until this gospel of repentance for forgiveness of sin enters in a real and powerful way until the preacher is not intimidated by what's going on in the meeting and keeps his focus until hearts get hungry enough, the power to change. Now we need to realize, and Annie, I didn't cue uh, her testimony, but we're talking you know, Jesus said that the, the, the Messiah and his post-resurrection appearance, the Messiah, Luke 24, must be crucified and on the third day rise, rise from the dead. That's the basis of this all. So that repentance for the forgiveness of sins may be preached in his name. You and I never better hope that someone repents if we don't intend to forgive. We dare not. We dare not preach that people must change if we don't intend to give them grace. The gospel is not the power to control others. It is the grace to release God's heart. And if I'm not releasing God's heart and giving them grace to change, I'd better keep very quiet. See, the grace to change comes from God. But the responsibility lies with us. And a little bit ambiguous. The grace itself comes from God. In our pre-meeting last week, and we're going to go here next week. I'll just wait. Come back next week. There's some really good thoughts. Now, there are very good reasons, many theological, as to why we should forgive someone. And uh, number one is God made them. Number two Jesus died for them. But the re greatest reason that we forgive anyone, that I forgive anyone, according to Scripture, is that Jesus died for me. You're thinking, wait a minute. No, the greatest reason I forgive anyone is because Jesus died for me. If you look up, you'll see that we've got some lights. And if I were to go play with that light switch over there, you would see that we could switch off the rows of lights. And so that's row number one. And then the people who do the lights and have tried to do so when they're opening up realize that row number one is labeled number three and number three is labeled number four. Anyone identify? But the bottom line is, is when you hit one of those five switches, one of these is going to come on. Why? Because they're on one circuit. So you've got five switches and you've got five different circuits, okay? And so you've got this thing like power, um, but it's, you're able to isolate it. But you know what? When I turn on, say, number four, which is that one, 16 globes all come on at the same time. Tubes. Why? because they're in series. They're not in parallel. They're not on different circuits. 
They're in a single series, meaning that power has to travel through the whole lot or not at all. When I want to say of someone, or I want to say to God, God, I want you to put the power to change into my life. I want you to turn on that grace. I need that grace of repentance and forgiveness. I cannot turn that light on for me without it completing the circuit through me. Either the Either grace is shut off at the switch or it's wide open and it passes into me and through me. It does not have another switch. Does that make sense? Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law or the rules of sin and death. For what the rules were powerless to do, or the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the flesh, in other words, your human condition, God did. What the law couldn't, God could. What the law didn't, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, literally in his own flesh. God, the word, became flesh. And in that flesh, sin was condemned. In order that, the perfectly righteous requirements. The requirements of the law are not the problem. <laughs> the righteous, good requirements of the law might be fully met in us. We do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And one of the best things about my job sometimes is to help people see that the way they think about God needs an overhaul. And sometimes we tend to think about God as being quick to anger and slow to love. The Bible's got an exact opposite picture. He's like so slow to anger and he's abounding in love. In fact, Jesus tells parables that people get offended by God's generosity because they think they need to earn his favor and his goodness. And God is so determined by very definition of his own nature, to love. Now, this disinformation has an active agency behind it. The enemy is called the accuser. And we often think, and we will see in the passage, it deals with condemnation, that the enemy is accusing us before God. And that is true. But he is also accusing God before us. He did that. Go back to the Garden of Eden. He was accusing God to humankind long before he was accusing humankind to God. And he trades in these false, distorted images of God. Like God is this policeman in the sky just waiting to zap you. I heard of a uh, a Catholic school where a nun had put 
in the cafeteria a sign that said there are apples and, and she'd written a sign in front of the apples that said take only one God is watching <laughs> and then they could get all their food and a little bit later with the cookies and a little kid had written there take as many as you like God's watching the apples <laughs> They probably deserve that. Like, God's not going to be our control lever. He's, we, when we want to use religion to control and direct and manipulate people, something is desperately wrong. You can see the freedom that breathes in this passage. You see, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Turn to someone and say, there is, therefore now, no condemnation. I said no condemnation. I said no condemnation. <laughs> For those who are in Christ Jesus. Sorry, I went to longer church this week, okay? <laughs> Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, or the spirit who makes alive, has set you free from the law of sin and the rules of death. A point has been reached. Something has happened in which literally that old slavery is broken and a new way of life is opened. And, and we, we read this in the language and ideas of Jesus himself. Paul wasn't inventing this theology. John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have the life now of the eternal ages, or eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe has flicked the switch, stands condemned already because they did not believe in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, either the flow is coming or it's not. Either I'm trusting in grace and it's, reaching me and reaching others through me, or I've shut off the power to change. No condemnation. What does it mean? Basically, constantly being found, innocent, declared righteous, free to go. Now, it doesn't mean that there are no human consequences. You need to understand. The world is still going to work out its consequences, although those same consequences can immediately begin to change. And again, another sermon comes to mind that I won't go there. But just because you confess to cheating in an exam doesn't mean you, you, you get to pass. Just because you repent of being unfaithful doesn't mean you save your marriage. There's no guarantees in all these things. There are profound human consequences for sin. 
but for whatever reason, don't say God is now punishing me. No, no, no. Sin is the villain in this piece. Sin is the villain, not God. Don't blame the law. It means that when it matters most in your relationship to God and then what flows through you into others, Colossians, in the language of Colossians 3 and verse 3, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Or Galatians 3.27, you have clothed yourself with Christ. In other words, when God looks at someone who's put their faith in Jesus, as the one who did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. When God looks at them, who does he see? You're clothed in Jesus. You're hidden with Christ inside God. When God looks at you and me, he does not see our sin anymore. You see, the enemy would want to come and use condemnation. Condemnation, I'm going to give you a few quick contrasts. Condemnation is something the enemy uses. Conviction is something the Holy Spirit produces. Jesus said, you, you will feel conviction for sin, and it will hurt. It's going to cut you to the heart, is the language of Acts chapter 2, for example. So what's the difference? The enemy will tell you, you're the problem. Condemnation. You're the problem. Conviction. Sin is the problem. The enemy will tell you, someone should deal with you. Conviction will tell you, he has dealt with your sin. Condemnation says to you, Hide your sin. You're in big trouble. Conviction calls you to confess your sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 verse 9. Condemnation leaves you with the sense that you have to run from God. Where does conviction take? And the answer is Jesus. Okay. <laughs> this time. The enemy wants you to run from God. Hide. Conceal. The Holy Spirit's helping you run to God and open wide. The enemy says you will have to pay. Conviction says Jesus has already paid. You see, when God looks at us, he sees us clothed in Jesus. And all that affection and all that delight and all that joy and all that freedom in that relationship is credited to you and me. Like literally, we're invited to step in John's, uh, John chapter uh, 17. The same glory, the same love that Jesus had for the Father, he prays, will now be in us. And the same love, sorry, that the Father had for the Son will now be in us. 
You see, a guilty conscience is never going to be God's tactic to get you to obey. A guilty conscience is manipulation and control. Guilty conscience is just the manure, the <laughs> in which more sin grows. A guilty conscience has never kept anyone from sin or made them righteous. If a guilty conscience saved anyone, then God would use a guilty conscience. A guilty conscience is the sign of the enemy wanting to control instead of the freedom that God gives. Have you ever thought that there is now no condemnation? Like literally nothing is coming from God against you. He does not use guilt to get you to change. Guilt has no power to change you. It has only the power to trap you. Guilt has no power to change anybody that you are praying will change. It just traps you. That is the power that's flowing through your circuit. When you try and use guilt to get somebody else to do the right thing, that's the power that's operating in that light circuit. And so recognizing that this grace to change is literally flowing towards me. And God has done five things to make this possible. In our passage it says, He sends His own Son. What we couldn't do, what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending His own Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And He sends Him to be just like us in the likeness of sinful flesh. Talking about the incarnation. And notice this, He doesn't say in the likeness of flesh, in which He only seemed to be like a human. No, he only seemed to be sinful and weak. <laughs> and he did not send him in sinful flesh as though sin, uh, as though our flesh is automatically sin. God sends his own son, exactly like us, to be a sin offering for us. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. He himself bore our sins in His body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You need that again? I'm sure they're surviving. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness for by His wounds you have been healed made whole. And so God made him a sin offering. God sent him, like us, to be a sin offering and then condemns sin, as it were, in sinful man. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
in order that. God has done this in order that. The first four, in a sense, dealing with the negative, dealing with the negative, dealing with the negative. Why? Because God wants a different power in your life. God wants a different grace flowing. He wants something different in the very circuitry of your being in order that those who live do not live according to the flesh, but there's a new power. They live according to and by the Spirit. In other words, the heart and the and the dynamics and the atmosphere of Jesus, his thoughts, his approach, his way of seeing and doing things literally comes and takes hold of me from the inside out. And you see that you can't have both powers running at the same time. God's love invites us to believe God's love intends to save. God's love confronts our unbelief. <laughs> like this is hectic warning. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, whoever will not let that grace come, stands condemned already. God's love confronts our unbelief. But you see, the greatest reason that I am going to long with all my heart to forgive someone who sinned against me is not just because Jesus died for them, which is absolutely true, but because I believe Jesus died for me and I only live because of his forgiveness. I only live because I have received grace. I only live because he has paid for my sin. And so we come to approach God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 says this. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, like literally there's an opening for us. I'm going to go here next week. Spoiler alert. Not this verse, but this idea. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. Here's the gate. Here's the curtain. Here's the door that has been thrown wide. And since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and in the full assurance that faith brings. Like leaning in with your faith is what gives you the assurance. If you'll say, I can only believe when I, you know, when I feel the assurance, you, you've got it the wrong way around. It's like choose to believe and then the feelings of assurance will follow. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. <laughs> no condemnation. Like literally my heart is sprinkled as it were. It's washed by this truth of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. 
You see, if I, if I somehow have not got my head around the fact that there's no condemnation, I'm really going to struggle to draw near to God. I'm going to wait for the snort club. You know, when someone's big and all-powerful and everything like that, and you know they've got it in for you, like coming close to them is a scary thing. I'm going to wait for that. It's not going to come because I'm clothed in Jesus. I have to trust in the fact that I'm literally inside him. I'm hidden inside Jesus, inside God. And when the accuser comes, God's going to say, where is he? That sinner, he's gone. He's gone. Sin is paid for. The enemy's going to have to look and he's like, I can't find him. I can't find him. All he can see is Jesus. All he can see is perfection. All he can see is righteousness. I can draw near because there's no condemnation. And Hebrews 9.14 gives another reason. It says that we have our hearts sprinkled like this so that we can serve the living God. You see, if you're serving God, still feeling guilty, you're trying to pay. You're saying, Jesus, your death is not enough. I'll, I'll have to serve you to make atonement. This, this passage in Romans 8 and the passage in Hebrews 9 and John 3 makes it clear, you couldn't pay, you don't need to. So today is an opportunity to say, Jesus, thank you that forgiveness can come to me. I know I said the greatest reason we forgive somebody else is because we are forgiven. But see the logic. I'm never going to be able to see that grace flow through me until it is flowing to me. Even forgiving someone else is not works. It's not atoning and making right with God. Forgiving someone else is the natural outcome of a heart that has got itself right with God and is receiving the grace you need.